0: G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope, and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. Colossians chapter 2, starting
1: at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knitted together in love, to each to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's. ...mystery, which is Christ, in whom are treasures all... um, ...hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit... ...rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him fullness of the deity dwells, Bodily, And you have been filled with him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you... Who were dead in your transgressions and then the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trans- trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Um, good morning. Uh, good morning. My name's Mike. It's my joy to serve as so of the pastors here. Uh, so good to see you guys this morning. Um, just to just to echo um, the the exciting news about Joey. Um, I I can recall it was ten years ago that I actually was sort of in your seat at my previous church. I was the first. I was the guinea pig, the first MTS apprentice at my church. Sort of giving up full time work to work full time. You know, big pay cut, all that kind of stuff at my church. And so I can relate to somewhat of how you're feeling. Although I did skip leg day, but I skipped arm and leg day, I think. Um, but, um, but so excited for you, brother. Um, so excited for you to join the team. And, and just to echo Zach, let's get around him. Um, encouragement and prayer, uh, as well as finances, are great ways to support him. Um, secondly, uh, just some exciting news, a bit of family news. I think I, I saw them. Uh, there we go. I can see them down the back. Big news. Brandon and Louise are engaged. They're sitting down the back. Give them a round of applause. God in uh, we'll keep, um, keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, i love to give you one. We've got some on the info desk. Uh, take one on your way out. But we're going to uh, continue uh, in Colossians 2, looking at this series the preeminent Christ, looking at the King, how he's better than everything else. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for his help uh, as we engage with his word this morning. Join with me and pray. Dearly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed your King to us. Jesus, you are the King of kings. Lord, you speak th- through your word, and I pray that we, you would continue to speak through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you may comfort those uh, that are feeling disturbed, distant, despondent towards you, Lord. I pray that you would challenge those that need a challenge. But, Lord, would we see Christ more clearly this morning? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past few years, there's been a growing trend of deconstructing the Christian faith. Uh, For many, this means people that perhaps have grown up in the church, grown up Christians, including leaders and even pastors of churches going on this inner journey of discovery, of reflection, of re-evaluating the things that they have been taught, re-evaluating life and priorities and values. It's often shaped profoundly by their experience of the church, of course, by the world peers, social media. But they often, they come to a point where they realise they don't share the faith of their parents or the faith of the church or the Christian school that they were part of. And so many, but not all, who have Deconstructed, they move perhaps to a more liberal or progressive form of Christianity, or some become spiritual but not religious. Maybe you've heard that term before, or some even no longer describe themselves as Christians. There have been some big names on this list. Um, Aussie pastor Marty Sampson from Hillsong, Rob Bell, another big American megachurch pastor, and perhaps the most famous was a guy called Joshua Harris, who sprung to fame about 20 years ago, writing a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, a book not without controversy, but then he ended up being a megachurch pastor for around 15 years. Now, Joshua Harris, uh, he announced in 2019 on his Instagram Page, and I quote, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. By all accounts, five years later, he is still not there now. What are we to think of this? What are we to make of this? And that's one thing for you know, American celebrity pastors um, in big mega churches to, to do this. But what happens when it's our friends, our family, that's going through this journey of deconstruction? Even people here at City on a Hill. How are we to even think about our own lives, our own story? Well, as we look at this letter from Paul and Timothy to the church in Colossia, a real city in modern day Turkey, we're reminded that there is nothing new under the sun. This idea of deconstruction or having different ideas competing for the truth and dragging people away from, from Christianity, enticing them, it's not new. Deconstruction is nothing new. In fact, Paul writes this chapter, if you have a look at verse 4, he says, I write this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Or literally that phrase means persuasive words, persuasive words. You know, there can be an opposition to Christianity that sounds very reasonable, plausible, especially as we see others, our friends, and even culture heading that way. Friends, can I say this morning, let's be honest, let's take off the mask. Let's take off our kind of we're going to church hat moment for a sec. Let's be real. If you have doubts, you're not alone. Me, personally, I went through a a few months, like a season of of doubt, and you could even argue deconstruction, when I was at Bible college, of all places. And throughout Christian history, there have always been people who doubt. In fact, one of the closest followers of Jesus, one of the apostles, Thomas, he was, of course, called Doubting Thomas, and yet he kept following Jesus. Trusting in Jesus, in the Bible, Jesus' brother Jude he says this: "Have mercy on those who doubt." God calls us to be merciful to those who doubt. We hope that we, as a church at Cedar on a Hill, can be a gracious, merciful community to everyone, but especially those who doubt. Maps you're in a season right now of doubt, of deconstruction, of exploring other worldviews, of trying to figure out, is what I believe now the same thing I did 10, 20, 30 years ago? Now this morning, I'm not going to offer you a silver bullet solution, a one-liner that you can say to yourself or to your friends to sort of make this problem go away. Now friends, I want to show you the gospel, remind you of the good news of Jesus that is true, that is beautiful, that is relevant for all of us at every stage of life. Of life, this is relevant for everyone here today. Whether we've been a Christian for fifty years, or this is the first time we've walked into a church service, whether you're doubting, or whether you're just been in a season of delight with the Lord, as I know many of you are, and I don't expect, of course, one sermon to change everything for us. That would be ridiculous. But as we begin this year together. My hope, my prayer for us this morning is that we can be reminded with fresh eyes about who Jesus really is. And as we see God speak through his word, I trust that it won't return empty. Um, So let me read again from Colossians chapter 2, if you open up to verse 6 and 7 with me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I'm gonna repeat these couple of verses a few times over this sermon because I really think these two verses are the key to understanding what Paul is talking about in this whole chapter. We're gonna use this as the framework for our time together. The big idea this morning, and this will be my three points, is you are you've been connected to Christ, the cosmic king, so keep going. You've been connected to Christ, the cosmic king, so keep going. We're going to see the reality of of what Jesus has done. Uh, We're going to lift our eyes and see who he is and see what difference it makes for us now. So firstly, you've been connected to Christ. Now, Sometimes there can be a temptation to reduce the gospel or the Christian story to a bunch of propositions, a bunch of theological truths. We use words like justification, sanctification, substitution, glorification. These words are big and beautiful and true. And I encourage you to explore them if they sound like Spanish to you and try to understand what these words mean. A great place to start, Colin Buchanan's got this, this song called Big Words That End in shin. Go check that out. You now, The gospel is that Jesus died in my place. In our place, that is true. He died to save sinners. He rose again to defeat death. This is all true. Amen. But I want to suggest that something else has taken place. Now, I've got a question for you guys. I want you to chat with the person next to you just for 15 seconds. Now, what do you think is the most common way that Christians are described in the New Testament? Go have a chat. 15 seconds. Go chat. What's the most common way that Christians are described in the New Testament? All right, 15 seconds is up. Anyone have a crack? Believers, that's a good one. It's actually not. Follows Jesus, that's a good one. It's not. It's not saints, holy ones. It's not that. It's not. It's not Christians. It's not followers of the way. It's not believers. It's not my brothers and sisters. Those things happen time and time again. It's actually this: those who are in Christ. Those who are in. Christ. Christ. In fact, it occurs 18 times in this short letter of Colossians alone, and at least six in this chapter. Come with me. If you've got a Bible, keep your Bible open. You'll see this. Um, Paul says, Verse 6, "...walk in Him, in Christ, in Him, built up in Him. You've been filled in Him, circumcised in Him, buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him, made alive together with Him." Have a look again at verse 6, which I said is the key verse. Just as you've received Christ as Lord, continue to walk in Him. Friends, we have received Christ. Not just as a bunch of, of teaching of truths, and not even just as one who died in our place, though that is true. We have received Him. Church, we need to know Jesus. Not just His ideas, not just His teaching. We need to know him, And if you're a Christian here this morning, it means you have already received him. Not just a gift from him, not just a philosophy from him, not even a seat at his table, not even adoption to his family. But you have received Jesus himself. You've received him as a person. You and Christ are connected. But he's not just a human. If you keep reading with me to verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Now, what's that saying? Now, confess, sometimes the ESV, which is the translation we normally use, can be a little bit clunky. It seeks for accuracy and and try to get as close as it can to word for word, but sometimes it gets a little clunky. Um, Sometimes it can be helpful to go to other translations just to understand what's going on. Two I recommend as a sidebar, Christian Standard Bible, CSB, and sometimes the NLT as well. But here's what they say, just to explain what's going on. They say, the CSB says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, or perhaps even simpler, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So what Paul is saying is Jesus, he is fully God. He's fully God. There's no aspect of God that is not true about Jesus. No character of God that is not present in Christ. He is fully God. And we saw this last week in in chapter 1, that through him, through Jesus, the whole world was created. Jesus is sustaining all things by him and for him, we saw. Jesus holding everything together. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He's not just a dude that made some cool things happen 2,000 years ago. Though he is, he's a lot more than that. But verse 10, I I think is perhaps even more crazy. It says that you have been filled in him. Get that? Jesus, fully God, nothing of God that's not in Jesus. And you, you've got that too. You've been filled in him. You, Christian brother, sister, have been connected to Christ. The God of the universe is tangibly, concretely connected to you, not in some kind of vague, fluffy, ethereal way, but no, no, in a real way, in an eternal way. How does this work? Well, if you keep reading down verse 12, it says that you've been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Keep reading 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, which means sins, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If you're a Christian, it means your old self is dead. You had trespass. You You see the signs no trespassing, no crossing. Boundaries, no going where we shouldn't go. And we all do that. We all cross God's boundaries. We cross our own boundaries, we, but we cross God's boundaries all the time. And because of that, God holds us accountable. And yet our old self has been crucified, is, has died with Jesus on the cross. You know, many of us... Um, we kind of understand the concept of debt right now. Zach talked about our economic climate at the moment. We get, we get when debt stands against us, you know, student loans, mortgages, credit cards, that kind of thing. I remember once I, I, I ran, did something dumb, I ran into the back of a car and had, I didn't have insurance. Uh, third part, or I had the compulsory one, but I didn't have the you know, third-party property theft, theft uh, insurance. And so I was liable, right? I got this letter in the mail, and it was thousands and thousands of dollars. And I even got charged for like 40 days of car hire for the other car. It was this crazy big debt. And it was this massive thing that was hanging over my head. I thought about it every single day. And imagine if somehow the debt you had was able to be... Wiped out your home loan, your hex, your help, your, your credit card just went away. Man, you'd walk around feeling lighter for a little while. How much more is what God has done for you? He's wiped away the debt that you owe your whole life. Gone. And it's not just, all right, he's, he's wiped you clean. And now you've got to start again and kind of pay it yourself. No, no. You're not a slave that needs to pay him back. No, no. Someone who is perfect and spotless and blameless has stood in your place because you never could do that. I never could do that. That's Jesus. He's cancelled the record of debt against us. And it's not just our, our past sins. Now you're back to zero. No, no. It's, it's not just the sins we're doing now. It's our future sins. Our past, present, future has been fully, freely, forever forgiven in Christ. How is that possible? Well, because we're connected to Him. And so when God looks at our, our resume, if you like, our record of sins, He doesn't see ours, but He sees Jesus, spotless, blameless. When He looks upon you, He says, here is my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's because through baptism, through spiritual baptism, we are, we are buried. And that's why when we do you know, public baptism, we did them at Wyndham last year, we bury people under the water, not forever, just for a second, um, and they go under the water to symbolise that they have died with Christ. And then we, we bring them up um, to show that they have been made alive with Christ. Through faith, through trusting in Jesus, we are raised with him. We're made alive with him. And so on one level, like we're sort of already getting ready for Easter, aren't we? You know, we've seen hot cross buns in, the, in Woolies and Coles for months already. Um, you know, Easter's coming. Um, when we think about Easter, it's actually, on one level, I, don't, I shouldn't normally say this at church too much, but on one level, Easter is all about us. Why is that? Because we died on that cross. And we were raised to life on Easter Sunday. Why? Because we have been joined to Jesus. We're connected to Christ. So we've been connected to Christ, but the gospel, of course, is far more than just the story of man Jesus. Because secondly, Jesus is the cosmic king. As we've stared at Jesus and looked at this profound reality, hopefully we've been encouraged or maybe even blown away by this incredible privilege of our union with Christ. But here's something I want us to lift our eyes for a moment. The gospel. It's good news that Jesus... Christ is Lord. As Paul says in Colossians 2 6, Jesus, he's the king. He's preeminent, not just over our life, not even over just our world, but over everything. Uh, Look down with me to verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Who are these rulers and authorities? Well, Paul's talking about there's a reality that there is a spiritual war going on. And all throughout the the New Testament, there's this notion of these two kingdoms. Paul uh, even says in, uh, in Colossians 1 verse 13, he says that he has delivered us from this domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of the Son he loves. There's this kingdom of darkness of the world, the devil, the flesh, things that are opposed to Christ. Then there's the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son who he loves, the kingdom of heaven. There' are these two kingdoms. You see it all throughout the New Testament. And so back in Colossians 2:15, these rulers and authorities, they refer to these dark cosmic forces that are at work, sometimes tangibly, in the structures and the systems of this world. And Paul's not just talking about kind of ghosts or demons that sort of like hover around in this kind of way, but no, like actually real concrete things that oppose God's good plan for this world. In a moment, I've been I'm reading almost finished. Uh, Victor Frankel, who was a, a a psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was he survived the gas chambers, went to Auschwitz, and you only need to read a little bit of that just to see the evil that is in. This world. But it's not just the extreme. It's easy to sort of point and go, yeah, that's obviously evil, that's obviously against God. Everyone would agree to that. But the devil and his minions work more subtly. It's anything that opposes Christ. That's why in Mark chapter 8, when Peter says to Jesus, no, no, you can't die, Jesus actually goes and calls him Satan. It's anything that's opposed to Jesus. So Paul says back in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There's this spiritual war where things are up against Christ, the teaching of Jesus. Here's the thing. It's not this you know, power struggle, though, between good and evil. This spiritual war, it's not like, you know, end of Netflix season two and you're wondering who is going to win. This is big cliffhanger. What's the outcome going to be? No, the war has been won. There's still battles going on, but the war has been won. Check out verse 15. Paul says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame, triumphing over them. Satan, the devil, he he tried to, to tempt Jesus said, If you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus, in his humanity, he was genuinely tempted. He didn't sin, he didn't cross the boundary, but he was genuinely tempted. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, do you remember that? He prayed a prayer. He said, Father, like if there's another way, I don't have to go to the cross. Like, can I take it? He was tempted, but he didn't sin because that would be a victory to the kingdom of darkness, a victory to the devil. Jesus said, no. Instead, I'm going to be submissive to the Father. I'm going to be obedient. I'm choosing love. I'm choosing God's team. I'm going to suffer for the world. And what does he do? On the cross, he makes a public spectacle of Satan. He was brutally beaten up, mocked, spat on, and he cried out, It is finished. It was more than just a physical act. It was a cosmic act. Crucifixion, spiritually taking on the wrath of the Father. A lot, lot happens on Easter Friday. The world went dark. The, tur- the, the curtain temple was torn in two, top to bottom, and it wasn't like you know, these cinema curtains was this thick, bad boy that blocked people from entering the presence of God. And there was this kind of zombie apocalypse moment where people came back from the dead. I'm not going to go into that too much now. But it was crazy. It was more than just a physical death going on there. And through it, the gates of heaven were opened. Satan tries to whisper in our ears saying, you need to do more. You need to earn your salvation. You know, God is not impressed with you. I can't believe you that. You call yourself... A Christian, you're a leader at church, you're a pastor. You're not part of his team. You haven't done enough. You need to do more. God doesn't love you. Do you know what? All these whispers, they're lies. The Bible describes Satan as the father of lies. God looks at you and says, nothing you can do is going to make me love you any less. You're in my family, in my team. You've been united to my son. Nothing can separate that. There's a whole bunch of teachings out there that compete with Christianity. They can be religious things. They can also just be how the world thinks. um, That that, that can cause many to think about going down this path of deconstruction. But it, it all comes down to this. The cross and the resurrection. Did Jesus really die on the cross? Islam Says no, it just didn't happen. God couldn't send one of his prophets to be killed. Like that just doesn't fit with our worldview. You now, philosophers, um, those that accept that Jesus was a real person, uh, they, they say, Well, yeah, look, he maybe died on the cross, but it's just an example, a martyr, an act of, of love, perhaps, or setting an example. Yeah, you know, sometimes the most dangerous teachings out there are the almost Christian teaching. Uh, Zach talked about, you know, a couple of cults and false teaching last week. Um, I met yesterday at a party, I met a guy who grew up Christadelphian. I don't know if you too much about them, um, but basically them and a bit like the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, that they essentially believed that Jesus wasn't God. And so the cross was not enough. They have a works-based salvation. The Bible says that on the cross, it was a spiritual victory for the kingdom of God of Jesus. It's where our our cosmic king was coronated, by this crown of thorns. And through that, he put the devil and the powers and authorities to shame. Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're doubting, if you've got questions, keep exploring, keep asking questions. We want us to be a safe place where you can ask questions, but keep coming back to the cross. God loves you so much, he would rather die for you than live without you. So we've seen, firstly, we are connected to Christ. Jesus, our Lord, is our cosmic King. And finally, keep going. Keep going. Construct your faith in him. Come back with me again to verse 6 and 7. Paul says this Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted And built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Church, you've already been given everything. You've been connected to Christ, who's the king of the cosmos. So, what does Paul say? Walk it out, walk with God, live out this new identity. Now, this might surprise you, but I'm no green thumb. You know, I'm no kind of gun in the garden. I was um, mowing the lawn the other day and uh, I, ca- I come across this tree root. Uh, like, and what's this kind of bumpy thing? And, and it kind of's causing this tree root. I'm like, oh, that, that's annoying and that's going to cause some of the tree So what do I do, i like, I'm going to cut this out. And so I, um, I get, like, I don't have an axe. I've got like this, you know, hacksaw and I just cut out this root. And then I find another piece and I rip it up and it's this massive piece and I cut out this tree root. And then like I kind of, you know, Google, should I be doing this? And apparently, I should not be doing this. I need to speak to like an arborist, someone that knows what's going on. This tree I may have just killed. Verse seven, what's going on there? There's this picture of a tree and roots. Now, we're not, we're not tumbleweeds, right? We're not kind of blowing around from kind of place to place. We're not transplants, kind of, you know, trees that you kind of put from one spot to another. No, God has made us alive deeply. Rooted in him like this big sturdy oak tree, and as I was reading Colossians two, reflecting this week, it reminds me of Psalm one. I don't know if you know Psalm one, uh, the first psalm where um, David says, "Blessed is the one who walks in the way of the Lord." He's like a tree planted bes- beside streams of water that bear fruit in season. You know, a tree doesn't need to try harder to stay a tree, right? It just Needs to keep being a tree. Sometimes we're tempted to think that, yeah, 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 I know Jesus died for me. Yeah, like I get that. But I need to do my bit too. Like Jesus has sort of given me keys to the kingdom, but now I need to kind of do my bit too to sort of, you know, make sure like I'm still on his team. You're connected to Christ, he's given you everything. Check out this quote from Warren Weasby. He says this, that when a person is born again to the family of God, he is born complete in Christ. His spiritual growth is not by addition, but by nutrition. He grows from the inside out. Nothing needs to be added to Christ because he is already the fullness of God. We don't need to add anything. Just Nutrition. You know the word, prayer, Christian community. These things will help you keep growing. They're not uh, things that we have to do; things we get to do uh, to help us keep walking as our new identity alive in Christ. Come down to verse twenty with me. Paul says that if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of, the, of this world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit? To its regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. They indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that, but what's Paul saying? He's saying that if you died to this world, why are you still living as a dead man, as a dead woman? You're now alive. You're a tree. You know? Why are you being a weed? For the Colossians, there was false teaching going on. Zach talked a bit about this last week. There was this sort of Jewish legalism, kind of adding extra rules to the Bible, mixed with this Gnosticism, this idea that you could get this special spiritual knowledge and kind of become like a superior spiritual person. Um, but for us, we live in a bit of a different context. Some of that sort of still carries through. You can maybe translate that to our context today. But there's lots of ideas that are being thrown around us. I think the biggest one is self-worship. You do you. Your identity can be found within. Be whoever you want. Do whatever. Live. Do whatever makes you happy. You know, YOLO. You only live once. All this stuff, though, it's really anti-Gospel. It's what you have died to. It's part of the world's team, this kingdom of darkness that promises much but delivers so little. You have a new life in Jesus, so keep going. At one level, I think we should all do some level of deconstruction. You know, as we've all, on one level, taken on worldly ideas and teachings that aren't of Jesus But we can't just stay there. We need to construct our life on something, on Jesus, as he really is. Jesus says, the wise man, he builds his house upon the rock. Who's the rock? It's Christ. I just want to suggest just a couple of things as I open this morning, talking about doubt and deconstruction uh, I'll post up a few more practical things on our Facebook group. If you're not part of that, uh, we'd love to add you into that. If you want to call, if you call, Cedar on a hill, your home. But um, a couple of things um, dealing with doubt. Now, firstly, we don't always feel our faith. If you've been a Christian for you know more than a few minutes, there's some ups and downs in life. We're not always going to have these mountaintop experiences with the Lord where we feel His presence, where we're close to Him, where we're encouraged, where we're singing praises from the bottom of our heart. There's going to be moments of despair, despondent, of of doubt, of darkness. We can't always trust our gut. Some days we might even think, is this real? Let's be honest with that. You've got to set the right expectations. If you're a new Christian, we need to be, you know, know what we're getting ourselves into. Secondly, you are not alone. Now, I totally get it. When I went through my season of, of doubt, I was, I was working. I was working part-time for a church. I was at Bible college. I was the one that was up the front. I was meant to have it all together, you know, to be strong in the faith. I didn't want to go around telling people after church that I'm having these massive doubts at the moment. I was pretty honest at telling four people in particular, though. Uh, Sarah, my wife, uh, one of my Bible college lecturers, uh, a good friend as well from another guy who I used to have coffee with weekly at college and we'd kind of be real and try to share life with, and my best mate, Josh. Now, all these four uh, people were so helpful I and mean, the way they listened to me, the way they gave me space in a non-judgmental way, but still were still deeply concerned and prayerful about my desire to see the truth. You're not alone. Thirdly, doubt your doubt, doubt your doubt, or deconstruct your deconstruction. You know, doubting isn't all bad. There's different types of doubting in the Bible. Doubting isn't bad if it helps us see the truth more clearly. You know, interestingly, literally yesterday, I saw that perhaps the most famous atheist in the world, a guy called Richard Dawkins, he's been on a campaign against Christianity, against religion for decades. He tweeted this yesterday, it'll be up on the screen. He said, Maybe there is still something for me to learn when it comes to religion. My dear friend and former atheist, A.N. Hersey Ali, has become a Christian. We'll be discussing this later. He's been on a campaign bagging out Christianity. He wrote The God Delusion, which you know, I remember read 15 years ago. Like it's a, it's a hectic book. He debates Christians. He tries to slam them. Now he's saying, maybe there's something to this. Is he having doubts of his doubts? Is he deconstructing his world view? For us, doubt your doubt. Why are you having doubt? Maybe it's because we've had some poor teaching from the Bible. Maybe we actually haven't been taught clearly what the Bible has been saying. I've shared this story before, but Sarah, my wife, has a dear friend who, she, her, when she was in grade 12, her mum was dying of cancer. And she was taught that if she had enough faith, she'd be okay. And so she was going on prayer retreats, all kinds of things. And sadly, her mum died. And that just... Threw her into a spin, a frenzy, and she was drifting away for years away from God and his people. Maybe it's because we've had poor teaching, or maybe it's because there's a bit of the Bible we're uncomfortable with. You know, it could be you know, we want to sort of date that person that's not trusting Jesus, um, or maybe you wish the Bible said something different about sexuality. We need to be honest with ourselves. You know, like uh, We can have questions and, and we want to encourage questions, but it's, it's, it's good to understand, deconstruct yourself. Why am I feeling this way? What's changed over the years? Maybe it's because we've been hurt by Christians, by the church community. And if that's you, as a pastor, I just want to get up here and say I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm part of our church, especially if it's been at our church, I'm really sorry. But if it's been part of the church Universal, Like, that sucks. Do you know who Jesus, though, was more strict and harsh with than anyone? It was people like myself. It was religious teachers, especially any hint of hypocrisy. Accountability, structures, um, they're really important. But more importantly, culture. We want to have a culture of grace, of transparency and of truth and love. But if you have had a bad experience with community and even hypocrisy, that does not mean that the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection is wrong. It does not mean that he is not Lord. It does not mean that he does not love you. It does not mean that he did not die on the cross for you and that he offers this connection, this union with himself. If you've had a bad experience with community, the solution, though, is not isolation. It's not abandoning community but seeking good community. Who are those around you that love you, that you can be honest with? Doesn't that do everyone? In my my season, I had four. We at church, we we are called, sit on a hill. We hope that we can be light to our city, but even light to each other as we help each other explore and ask questions and journey together. And finally, the fourth practical thing I think we can do in doubt is to pray. As I said before, Jesus, he's not this set of ideas of these theological truths. He's a, a person who loves you, who wants to have a relationship with you. And so prayer is, is that, it's talking with him. In Mark uh, chapter 9, there's a, a father, a dad who has a son who's in trouble. He's rolling around the floor. He's convulsing from the mouth. And the father, he says to Jesus, hey, if you can do something about this, if you can do something about this, please, please, Jesus do. He meets Jesus with a prayer, but it's a prayer filled with doubt. He's not certain if he can, if he can. And then he cries out later this beautiful prayer to Jesus. I believe, help me in my unbelief. I believe, but help me In my unbelief. As I invite the band up to wrap up, I'm going to to pray a prayer shortly for all of us, whether we are near or feeling far from the Lord. And as well, myself and Mel will be available to to pray with you during these songs. Now, it could be because you've got doubt, you've got experience. It could just be you have a completely unrelated prayer point that you just like prayer for. We'd love to pray with you this morning. But let me wrap up with these words again. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, You are the King. You're the King who has revealed Yourself to us and given Yourself to us. Lord, You're the King of the cosmos, the King that put to shame the rulers and authorities of this world on the cross. And yet, Lord, for many of us in this room, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubts. Help us in the season of life we are. at. Help us as we think about Our hurts, our pains, our life is not perhaps working out the way we had planned. Help us to see clearly who you are. Help us to see your beauty even amidst the brokenness. And Lord, help us as a church to be a community of grace, a community that is gentle, that is patient, that is quick to listen, slow to speak and abounding in steadfast love. And may we as a church keep going. May we see and discover afresh our new identity of being alive in Christ, of being people that have been transferred into the kingdom of your Son. And Lord, I pray that we would give you glory and be a witness to the world as we do that together. We pray all this in Jesus' precious, beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit City on a Hill dot com dot au